Well, good morning to you. You guys ready? Eyes open, ready to roll? All right, here we go. We're in week two of our Advent season that was started off so brilliantly last week by Matt Miranda as they talked about hope. This week, we're looking at the Advent theme of peace. How's your peace this morning? Is it? You know, everyone here this morning, there are things we're good at and there's things that we are bad at, right? Some of us are good at sports. Some of us not so much. Some of us are good at things like board games and card games and video games. Some of us not so much. Some of us are great conversationalists. We're good talkers. Some of us not so much. But even those of us who are good at talking, we often put our foot in our mouth pretty often too, don't we? I'll speak for myself, absolutely. Out of all the, other, of all the words that you've ever said since you first uttered your first word around the age of one or so, unless you were an overachiever, until right now, in addition to all the words of wisdom and truth and encouragement you've ever spoken, how many of you would say that you've said at least one thing that you've regretted? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. You know, the ability to say the right word as well as the ability to not say the wrong word, and that requires a lot of spiritual wisdom, doesn't it? I love the book of James, don't you? One of my favorite books in the Bible. There's a ton of really great wisdom in that short little book. I want you to listen to how James puts this about 2,000 years ago. And this is from the message translation because it puts a different spin on it, maybe a little bit, of, little bit more of a bite to it. I want you to listen to this. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. If you could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person in perfect control of life. A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, and go up in smoke with it, smoke right from the pit of hell. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. The tongue runs wild, a wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless God our Father. With the same tongues, we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth, my friends, this cannot go on. Woof, right? Here we are 2,000 years later and it's still amazingly true. Technology doesn't help us or change us all that much because we're out of control with our mouths. We, we do this to ourselves. We bring this on ourselves. You know, I got to thinking about our mouths being out of control at times, and I thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if there was a silence button for your mouth? You could just press that button, that thing that you thought better of saying, it, it just went silent, it never quite made it out of your mouth. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Now, that would be the ultimate app, right, Matt? <laughs> for your smartphone, for your, for your tablet, for your computer. I mean, we have apps for everything else, right? Wouldn't it be great if there was an app that could just shut your mouth? Have you ever felt the need for a silence button for your mouth? Or maybe for the mouth of the person sitting next to you? Don't answer that. We want to keep the peace this morning. 
As I mentioned earlier, we're in our Advent season, and this week we're talking about peace. You know, our lives often get so filled with a bunch of noise and busyness during this time of year, and we get so exhausted simply trying to keep up. You ever feel that way? How about this Christmas? Instead of telling yourself, I got to do more and more and more and more, how about we actually maybe look at doing a little bit less? This Advent season reminds me that although we associate this time of year with even more noise than we normally have in our lives, things like, you know, TV specials, right? You know, the ones that you got to catch, parties, holiday business, gift buying, so on. We forget what was pretty much the very first Christmas present, the gift of silence, the gift of peace. Do you know the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth that we find in the book of Luke? Do you know this story? If you have your Bible, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 5 and going through verse 25. Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 5, going through verse 25. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had, been, he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. You may be seated. 
So there was once an old man named Zachariah that was a priest. One day he's in the temple serving, and an angel named Gabriel shows up and said, Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth, who were both getting up there in their years, would have a son, and they were to name him John. Zachariah and Elizabeth's son would go on to be known as John the Baptist, a name that we're all pretty familiar with. And he would help prepare Israel for what God was about to do through Jesus, through the coming of a Messiah. You know, there's a very interesting comparison that we see in the book of Luke. And you actually see Luke do this a number of times. Luke will pair up a man and a woman and then compare their responses to the situations they're in. Pretty fascinating. And this is the first time that we see it. So we've seen Zechariah and Elizabeth, and now here comes Joseph and Mary. This same angel, Gabriel, shows up and tells Mary she's going to have a child and that, that it will be miraculously conceived. Now Mary, who has no spiritual credentials, who's a young, poor, uneducated, undistinguished teenage girl, gave a short and to-the-point response to Gabriel. Let it be as you have said. Mary offers her humble obedience immediately. But Zachariah, on the other hand, who you, who you would think would be much more spiritually mature than Mary, he's educated, he's grown up, he's a priest, he knew the scriptures, he served in the temple. He had a lot more spiritual understanding than this teen girl did. And yet, Zachariah and Mary had very, very different responses to the news that Gabriel gave them. Luke chapter 1 tells us that Zechariah said to the angel, no, it's not possible. Couldn't happen. God could not do this. I'm too old. Elizabeth, my wife's too old. Angel, you got the wrong guy. And the angel says to Zechariah, actually, it is possible because I'm an angel. I stand in the presence of God. My name is Gabriel, and I was sent to you to give you this good news. Zechariah, why would you be so quick to say that God, what God can and cannot do? How often do we do that? Zechariah, why would you be so quick to say what you do and do not believe? Zechariah, you need a silence button for your mouth. So here's what's going to happen to you, Zechariah. You're going to be silent, unable to speak, until the day your son is born, because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. See, God's going to be present with Zechariah through silence. Because with silence, God can break through to Zechariah in a way that he simply couldn't with words. This is the strange gift of silence. Now, there are two aspects to Zechariah's silence we need to understand here as they apply to our lives as followers of Jesus. And I want to look at them in the light of silence and in the light of peace. First of all, Zechariah can't say anything, like at all. Scripture says that when Zechariah came out of the temple, there was a whole bunch of people waiting for him. And Zechariah kept making all kinds of signs and hand gestures to them, but remained unable to speak. I mean, just imagine trying to tell people that you've seen an angel using only your hands. Can you picture this? Then there's this other dimension of silence that shows up nine months later when their son is born. Zechariah's friends and neighbors, they get together and we're told that they made signs to Zechariah asking him what he'd like to name his child. Now think about this with me. If they're making signs to communicate with Zechariah, that means not only can he not speak, but he can't hear either. This is total silence for Zechariah. Have you ever practiced a time of silence in your life? It's a really, really humbling thing, and God really, really works on you in that silence. It's an important part of your spiritual development, this practice of silence. Silence involves two parts. Having nothing to hear, no noise around you, 
and nothing to say, not speaking. So let's pause for just a moment this morning and let's take a look at how you can know peace like Zachariah did. But practicing silence this Advent by, by kind of entering into Zachariah's experience for the next few moments, it's going to be important. I want you to get a mental picture of your life for a moment. Just take a second, picture your life, everything that you have that goes on in your life. But I want you to imagine your life with all the noise getting muted. No television, no internet, no radio, no movies, no iTunes, no cell phone, no Spotify, no social media, no magazines, no books, no Kindle, no iPad, no apps, nothing. Can you picture that? It's hard for us to do because all we do is simply outsource, right? We offload our attention, our stream of thought, our stream of consciousness until our brain muscles just become mush, right? That's life for Zechariah at this point. There isn't even conversation. There's no local gossip. There's no who's doing what, who's getting ahead, who's falling behind, who has what, who should I envy, who should I pass judgment on, none of that. Now, when you have no source of external stimulation to distract your attention or to guide your, th- your thoughts, what do you think about? What is it that goes through your mind? What do you think about when all you're left with is your own mind, your own heart, and your own soul? We really, really really don't like that, do we? Because it makes us super uncomfortable. You know what's ironic to me? We complain a lot about noise and sound in our world. But silence, it actually makes us much more uncomfortable. That's why you can't go into places like grocery stores, shopping malls, doctor's offices, and just hear silence. See, we don't like silence because silence leaves us exposed to what's actually in our minds. And the human mind on its own, it kind of drifts towards anxiety and boredom and then finally to anger. That's why we run from silence. We don't like it. But Zachariah, he can't get away from it. He's all alone with just his thoughts. And this dilemma of Zechariah, it's both ironic and it's tragic. You see, we live in a world that never allows us to be alone with our thoughts in any kind of deep or introspective way. But with Zechariah, with all the time that he's had to himself, he begins to discover he's not alone. You see, in silence, if, you, if you'll get past the anxiety and the boredom that hits you at first, you'll see that over time that the, the mind, it craves order, it craves meaning. Now, Zechariah, of course, he's a priest which means that in his silence, most likely his mind will eventually turn towards scripture. You see, in silence, you're at the mercy of whatever you've been filling your mind with. And that's why people who are wise understand just how important it is to be intentional with what you fill your mind with. In silence, Zachariah's mind turned towards scripture. And I'm sure that some of God's words turned over and over and over in his head, you know, things like be still and know that I am God. Or the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before him. See, our minds, it gets cluttered. Our wills get enslaved, our souls get thin, and they get tired simply from the sheer volume of all the noise that we subject ourselves to. You know the drill, right? I have to get this. I have to have that. I have to avoid this. I have to desire that. I have to achieve this. I have to acquire that. I better envy this. I better resent that. But here's the really sobering thing. The sound that you can only hear in silence is God's still small voice. 
Because God, most of the time, he's not going to shout at you. See, it's in silence that the reality of God becomes clear to Zechariah. Because Zechariah, over all these days, over all these weeks, over all these months, he replays this whole experience he had with God in the temple like a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times in his head. He had a lot of time to think. And for all of us, for you and me, the invitation this Advent season is to do less, not to do more. Man, is that hard for us. Maybe for you it's to go someplace where you can be alone. No sound at all except maybe the sounds of nature. Maybe you go to a park, you go out to the woods, you go to the mountains, maybe just for an hour or two. Maybe it's for a half a day. Whatever you think you can take and to simply be still. And let me tell you from personal experience what will happen at first, you won't like it. And your mind will be filled with things like anxiety and thoughts of all you have to do and even maybe a little bit of fear of being bored. And that's good to know about your mind. Then you can talk to God about what's actually on your mind. Be still, and what's that second part? And know. But there's this other part to Zachariah's silence. I mean, we may not like silence, but at least we can break the silence by speaking. Not Zachariah, he can't get away from it. He's not hearing anything, but for him, the other part of his silence is that he can't speak either. So what this means for Zechariah is that for nine months, Zechariah can't say all the things that he would normally say in order to control people, in order to control opinions, in order to control the lives of those that are around him. He can't say things like, you know, I was offering a sacrifice with Caiaphas at the temple last week, and I'm a priest as well. And, you know, Caiaphas and I, the chief priests, we're pretty close. Zechariah couldn't say that. He couldn't say, yes, of course, I know that Bible verse. He couldn't say, God's given me a miracle, baby. I'm going to be a very, very important guy. You see, being silent, it's an act of humility. You know, an interesting thing to watch with the people you know is patterns of speech. I'm a sociology major. I love to watch people. You know, the way people talk, right? Whoever has the most power is generally the one who talks the most. Have you ever noticed that? It's part of what we use power to do. But remaining silent, man, that's an act of humility. See, our words reflect our hearts. And our verbal patterns are so deeply ingrained in us that we can't control them simply by trying really hard. They just come out. See, the deep patterns that govern our behavior are embedded in us way too deep for willpower alone to overcome simply by trying harder. So in this season of silence... Zachariah was given some space to learn. What habits have I developed in using words to flatter, to intimidate, to shade, to hide, to evade, to coerce someone or something? Then over time, Zachariah got this amazing gift of understanding that he didn't have to use words to control things or people. And Zachariah also began to realize that he didn't have to verbally manipulate people and situations to get what he wanted. He discovered that he was truly free. See, this practice of silence, like all spiritual disciplines, is simply about freedom. To free you up, to be free, to be able to say the right thing at the right time, to not say the same brainless, controlling, manipulative, deceitful things that just automatically come out of our mouths and out of our hearts. Jesus said, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, right? The goal isn't to learn how to manage your mouth, although that would probably help some of us, I guess. 
The goal is to have a transformed heart, to have a sanctified heart that is ruled by the kingdom of God. That's the goal. There's an amazing and very poetic phrase in the book of Proverbs that shines some wisdom on the human condition. I love this. Listen to this. A word aptly spoken is like an apple of gold in settings of silver. A word aptly spoken is like an apple, apple of gold in settings of silver. In other words, it's of immense value, right? The right word at the right time from the right person in the right way, immense value. And of course, the wrong word is of, is of immense damage as well. I'm sure you've probably had that happen to you. Maybe you were the one who did it. One of the most effective practices God uses to disrupt our automatic, routine, sin-filled, verbal patterns is silence. One of the most effective practices God uses to retrain us in how to speak redemptively is silence. You know, Jesus often observed this practice of silence. At the start of his ministry, he spent 40 days in solitude and silence, right? He didn't say, have to say anything because he could hear the Father. Often in his ministry, Jesus, who talked all the time, would go into places where he could be silent and hear nothing but silence. In the first chapter of Mark, at the beginning of his ministry, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus withdrew to a solitary, silent place. Before Jesus chose his disciples, what did he do? He withdrew into silence. After Jesus feeds the 5,000, people wanted to make him a king. What does Jesus do? He withdraws into silence. And his friend, John the Baptist, after he was executed, Jesus withdraws into silence to the garden. But in 2023, in northeastern Ohio, how do we do this, right? How do we do this? Again, we live in an even noisier world. If Jesus, who lived in a much less noisy world and was the sinless son of God, if he needed to practice silence, then there's a pretty good chance that you and I might need a little extra silence now and then, don't you think? So how do we do this when we have real lives, right? When we live in the real world and we have jobs and kids and school and church and so on. <laughs> well, it's not gonna just happen. You have to be intentional about it. You gotta make room. We might have to take a Sabbath from time to time when we don't speak. There are times in my life where I'll take a day and deliberately try to speak as little as possible. <laughs> sometimes I succeed, sometimes I don't. Or I'll take a day when I just try the dis discipline of not complaining. There's a good one, right? You ever taken a whole day where you tried to not complain? Try it. See how that goes for you. I'm gonna, I'd be interested if you try it. I want to know how long you made it. <laughs> try to actually listen to yourself during the day to what you've said. And then ask yourself a question. Was God in the words that I just said? That's a sobering question, I tell you. Try asking yourself this question before you say something in anger or frustration. Is this the kind of thing God would want me to say? It's a very simple question, but it will help. Especially if you take that half second and actually use it before you open your mouth. Maybe take a fast from any type of media. There's a thought. There are many different types of fasts you can do for an hour, two hours, half a day, whatever you're able to do. No TV, no internet, no cell phone, just withdraw. You might want to make sure your friends and your family know about it because we kind of freak out if we can't get a hold of each other within certain amounts of time, but take that time and withdraw. 
In some traditions, like in the Quaker traditions, silence is actually an intentional part of worship. It's part of how the Quaker people grew comfortable with it. They would gather together and have periods of time where there's no music, no instruments, no talking, no sermons, no praying out loud. Could you imagine? Everyone just listening to God and hearing God speak to them in a unique way in the silence. Be still and know that I am God. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. See, the point of practicing silence is not to simply practice silence for silence's sake. I don't prove how spiritual I am by how long I can go in silence. I mean, you could be an introvert. You love silence. You could be a really nonverbal person and still have a pretty messed up heart, still have a dark and ungrateful heart. There's an old story. I love this one. Maybe some of you have heard this about a monk who joined a monastery. It's a really strict monastery with a head guy. The abbot tells them, now that you've joined here, you have to take a vow of silence. You're only allowed to say two words every 10 years. A whole decade, only two words. So this guy's there for 10 years in dead silence, and he meets with the abbot after 10 years, and the abbot says to him, after a decade, do you have anything to say? And the guy says, food bad. 10 more years go by, he gets his second shot. The abbot says to him again, do you have anything else to say? And he says, bed hard. 10 more years, the abbot meets with him one more time. Do you have anything else to say? He says, I quit. The abbot says, well, you know what? I'm not surprised you've done nothing but complain since you got here. I love that one. You see, you can be real silent and still have a bad heart, right? The point is not how silent can I be. The point is through silence, can God speak to me in some unique way? Can I be freed up from those habit-filled patterns of saying stuff that are destructive to other people, that are deceitful, that are self-promotional, that are judgmental, that are gossipy, if that's a word? Could I just be free? For nine months, Zachariah lives in silence. Let me give you a 100% money-back guarantee. If you spend nine months in silence, it will change you. God will use it. In silence, God's word becomes real to Zechariah. When the baby's finally born, his relatives and neighbors want to name the baby Zechariah after his dad. But Zechariah gets a tablet and writes, his name is John. In other words, now Zechariah believes. In other words, now Zechariah obeys from his heart. Then we're told that immediately Zechariah's mouth was open, his tongue was set free, and he began to speak and to praise God. How cool would it be if that was true for all of us here at MP Naz? That our mouths could be opened, that our tongues could be set free, free from sin, free from deceit, free from pettiness, free from gossip, free from judgmentalism, free from greed, free from constant angling to try to get things my way. How cool would it be if instead of all the negative stuff that we could say, we were free to just speak words of gratitude and courage and truth and love. Now that would change the world, don't you think? The story of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, it begins with this strange silence. The story of Jesus is filled, is marked by silence. Look, I know that our world doesn't talk much about silence. Therefore, talking about silence maybe is a little bit strange for us. But here's the thing. This story of Jesus, it's marked all the way through by these moments of silence. 
Then in a strange way, the story of Jesus also ends with silence, right? If you've ever ever read through what are called the passion narratives, the story about Jesus' death, we're told about Jesus being silent. It actually is tied back to this ancient prophecy in Isaiah about the Messiah, the suffering servant that will be silent before his executioners like a lamb before the slaughter. The strange statement keeps coming up. Jesus is silent before the chief priests. He's silent when he's mocked. He's silent when he's before Pilate. He's silent before Herod. Matthew chapter 27, but Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. It's literally peppered with all these stories of Jesus' silence. But why? What's the big deal about Jesus' silence? Well, Jesus said to his disciples just at the beginning of this, just before he was crucified, do you not know I could just say the word and my father would put 12 legions of angels at my disposal? Do you not know all I have to do is say the word and there would be no suffering for me? In fact, in the gospels, that was the great temptation that was put before Jesus, right? Be the Messiah, but don't suffer. Way back when Jesus goes into the wilderness, he's tempted by Satan. He says, why don't you just throw yourself down from the top of the temple? The angels will catch you. You can be the Messiah, but you don't have to suffer. What does Jesus do? He rebukes him. Later on on the Mount of Transfiguration, when the disciples see Jesus isn't like any other human being on earth, he begins to tell them that he's going to have to be crucified. He's going to have to go to a cross, and he's going to have to suffer, and he's going to have to die. Peter says, don't talk like that, Jesus. Don't say things like that. If you're the Messiah, you don't have to suffer. You might remember how Jesus rebukes Peter. He actually says says to him, get behind me, Satan. Right up until the very end, this is the greatest struggle that Jesus faces, and he doesn't say a word. He stays silent. When one word to God could have saved him and crushed us. When one silence would save us and crush him, he was silent. He chose to be silent. He didn't say a word. You see, in the end, it turns out that we're saved by the word Jesus did not say. In a way, maybe Jesus was training his whole life for these moments of silence. In a way, maybe Jesus was trying to show us all the words God could have said to me, but did not. Words of judgment and condemnation and guilt that I completely deserved, but God does not say them even though it killed him. Maybe in the silence of God is the pain and the anguish that God deals with. Maybe we're saved as much by the silence of God as we are by the words of God. I'd like to end the message this morning not with words, but with the gift God gave to Zechariah. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, our world is so filled with a bunch of noise distracting, loud noise. We compete with so many voices. And our minds and our spirits get so anxious and so afraid. But for now, God, we silence ourselves before you. Would you speak to us in this moment? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we leave, This is going to be hard for us. I really need you, if if possible, to join me in this. I want us to leave in a new way. Normally we'd have prayer. Normally we would have music, whatever. 
I'm asking you for a favor if you'd leave in silence. In the tradition of a silent night, a holy night. If you have any conversation to have, if you do it outside those doors, that would be great. God bless you and your families. Have a great week and know that you're loved. Go in peace.